0: Good morning church family. Have you been worshiping today? Thank you Hollis, thank you choir uh, for that beautiful word and song. Uh, thank you Joseph for your message, your testimony, your witness that yes we are to take the gospel, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And there is an urgency, a sense of urgency I hope that you can feel in our worship service this morning as we look at the Antichrist and the rise of the beast out of the sea this morning. But I'm going to begin by saying that our job is to live the gospel and share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. And this church family reached out to our local community last night. And I just want to say what a joy it was to be a part of our community fall festival last night. Praise God and hallelujah, because so many young people came out um, to hear uh, about what this church really wants to say to this community. Come, Jesus, come. And Jesus says to us, come, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that is what we are all hoping for and praying for. So this morning, I invite you to turn open in your Bibles. No, not to Revelation, but to 1st John, 1st John chapter 2. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we begin our journey or continue our journey through Revelation. First John chapter two, beginning in verse 18, I'll just read a few of the verses there, and then we'll pray and then we'll launch into Revelation 13. But to get context, I felt like it was important to begin here. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming. Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from truth. Verse 22, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for inspiring John the Apostle to write these words in a letter to the early church. And as we think about and as we study Revelation, the, one of the other books that John wrote Father, we pray that you will help our hearts to see your eternal plan as it plays out. But most importantly, give us a sense of urgency that the time is near when you will bring an end to everything on this earth as we know it. And so that, Lord, you are patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And because of that, Father, we take your message of the gospel to the ends of the earth, through Operation Christmas Child, and even right into our own backyard with the fall festival. Our goal is to hold out the word of truth, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So just to catch us up on where we are in our timeline, obviously, we're currently in the church age. But as we have studied through Revelation, we've made our way to the middle of the tribulation period, three and a half years in. The bold, I mean, the zeal judgments and the trumpet judgments have already been poured out on the earth, and now we're in the center of that seven-year tribulation period. In chapter 12 of Revelation, if you'll turn there, chapter 12 uh, we spoke about last week, and it was, of course, the woman, uh, a sign that John was uh, able to see, and the woman represented Israel. And then, of course, her male child, we declared, we we identified that male child to be the 144,000 Jewish evangelists that God had marked on their foreheads. We find them on earth in chapter 7. We see them in heaven in chapter 14. We'll we'll review that today a little bit further. And then, of course, the dragon. And the dragon is identified in verse 9 of chapter 12 as the devil, Satan. And this dragon had seven heads and seven crowns on its heads and ten horns. Of course, that, that dragon represents Satan. And so this morning, as we launch into chapter 13, we begin with the dragon and then we are introduced to two additional beasts. In verse, uh, uh, let me go ahead and go there. Oh, I won't go there now. I'll wait for a minute. It says in verse one of chapter 13, and the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Why is he down on the earth? Because he had been cast out of heaven after the war in heaven. So now Satan is no longer in the middle of the revelation, in the middle of the seven weeks, he's no longer on the earth. I mean, on, in heaven. He no longer has access to heaven. He's been cast down. And so now he is on the earth and it says that he is standing on the shore of the sea. And then it says, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had 10 horns and seven heads and with 10 crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion." And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So let's just pause right there. The question that is often asked, one of the most uh, common questions that I get as a pastor is, who is the Antichrist? Who is he, Randy? Who is the Antichrist? I'm going to state for you right now, hear me very loud and clear, no one knows who the Antichrist is. Is he alive today? He could be or he may not be. We don't know. We haven't seen the evidence of any one person in our generation stand up and, uh, you know, fit the description in the Word of God. Much harm has been done to biblical prophetical teaching by commentators and theologians and preachers writing books and preaching sermons about who the Antichrist is. We simply don't know. What we do know is a lot about him. He is known in the scriptures by several titles. Just as Jesus Christ has several titles, the Antichrist, as John described him, he is the Antichrist, has many titles as well. In Daniel chapter 7 and 8, I gave you homework last week Daniel 7 and 8, he is the little horn. He is also the king who exalts himself in Daniel chapter 11. He is the man of lawlessness or the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then when we get to the book of Revelation, in chapter 6, he is the rider on the white horse, the first sealed judgment. And then here in chapter 13, he is this beast coming out of the sea, literally out of the sea of humanity. And then we learn more about this beast, this Antichrist, in Revelation 17. So we'll turn there in a few moments and learn more about him. This is how we can amass a description of the Antichrist, but who he is today as a person we don't know. Now, if you've done your study in Daniel, you will learn that uh, we, can, we can gain some insight as to where he will arise. Uh, Here's a chart up here. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel's given a vision of an image, and that image has uh, several parts. There's the gold head, there's the silver chest and arms, there's the bronze uh, thigh and and belly, thighs and belly, and there's the iron legs. And then, of course, there's the clay and iron feet of that statue. In Daniel chapter 7, there are four beasts. There's the lion, there's the bear, the leopard, the frightening beast. And then, of course, that little horn pops up towards the latter part of their reign. And then the kingdom here is described for us And uh, Daniel learns this. Daniel's writing at about 550 B.C. In 586 B.C., Babylon comes in and oppresses Israel, burns the temple, and carries them off as captives. So it's even in Daniel's day that he is actually one of the exiles carried off into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. But then, of course, Babylon gives way to a second kingdom, Media Persia, which is represented by the bear, And then the third kingdom is Greece. And Greece, of course, we know in our history lessons, we learn about Alexander the Great and how he swept across the earth. This is why he is described as a leopard, how swiftly he was able to take over the known world at that time. He is described as the bronze belly and thighs there. And, of course, we know Greek and bronze is very uh, popular there. And then, of course, that fourth beast is Rome that fourth beast is Rome. And of course, as John's writing, Rome is in power. Rome is that fourth empire that is actually oppressing the Israelite people. So you see, Daniel has this amazing uh, responsibility and privilege of letting God tell him about the panorama of human history and how each one of these kingdoms oppresses Israel. And so now, if you think about it, you move over into chapter 8, what Daniel is learning in chapter 8 is that that he is now getting whittled down, this Antichrist is getting whittled down from whence he will come. And so we see here that the two nations that are represented in Daniel 8, Jerry just read it for us, is that the ram is represented by Media Persia that had two horns, two horns representing Media and Persia. And then there is a shaggy goat, a goat that had a prominent horn, and that prominent horn is none other than Alexander the Great. But his horn was broken off. He died. And then that horn was replaced by four horns because Greece then was divided into two, I mean, into four kingdoms under four generals, Lysimachus, Cassander, Seleucid, and ultimately Ptolemy. And so here is the map of Greece at the time of Alexander the Great. You see how much land that they covered. In modern terms, it covers Syria, Lebanon, Turkey, Iraq, and Iran. Now, friends, I'm not here to declare to you that what's going on over in the Middle East is fulfilling prophetical end times here in the Bible. But I will tell you, all of the players in that area of the world right now fit the description of what's happening in this area of the world. It should cause us to be very sober, and prayerful that God's will be done. His truth is marching on. And we, the church, now granted, we'll be out of the way. Remember in Revelation 4, the church is raptured out of the way. But the events that are happening in the Bible, according to Daniel's prophecy, that antichrist will come from that area of the world. Okay, so from there, we continue on. Go um, and read in chapter 13 of Revelation and look at what it says there about the beast. He is coming up out of the sea, meaning that the sea of humanity, he is rising up into prominence. Again, this is the second half of the tribulation. And then it says he has 10 horns and seven heads. Do you remember last week when I talked about the seven heads of the beast or the dragon? The seven heads of the dragon are the same seven heads of this Antichrist. They are Egypt, Assyria, And then these four kingdoms that we just talked about Babylon followed Assyria, and then after Babylon, Media Persia, and then after Media Persia, Greece, and after Greece, it was Rome. You have six kingdoms that had oppressed Israel. So the seventh head becomes a seventh kingdom at the end times. Those six kingdoms Satan used to oppress God's people and God's plan. And so that's what that beast represents. The beast has seven heads, just like the dragon. It's interesting, though. The dragon has its crowns on its heads, while the beast out of the sea, the Antichrist here, has his crowns on his horns. That's the distinction. Because the Antichrist will, in fact, rule over ten kingdoms. Notice what it says there. He has ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. So all seven of these nations that have oppressed Israel, or six of them that have oppressed Israel, now the seventh will, that's what will happen. The beast, he says in verse 2, I saw, listen to the words that are used. It resembled a leopard, but had feet of a bear and mouth of a lion. Now this would indicate what? That the majority of the beast is in fact the leopard well, what is the leopard? The leopard is Greece. Ancient Greece, the Grecian kingdom that I just put up on the map. And so we see from that map, all of those nations is where this beast will come from. And it says it has feet like that of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And where does he get his power from? He gets his power from Satan. So who is the Antichrist? Most people want to think it's a man, and yes, you're right, but it's more than a man. The Antichrist is ruled or influenced or controlled by satanic forces. This person is being given power from Satan. That's why we will also see him in Revelation 17 as the beast coming up out of the abyss. The abyss is the holding chamber, the prison of demons. And so this beast is led not just as a man, but he is led by the spirit of Satan. And he represents the seventh kingdom, the seventh and final kingdom. And of course, the beast will become an eighth kingdom once he takes over those 10 nations or those 10 kingdoms. Does that make sense to everybody? So one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, it says in verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. (laughs) Two more times this is referenced about the beast. One of the most misunderstood things about this chapter is that everybody believes that the Antichrist, when he rises to power, will have an assassination attempt against him and therefore he will be deemed to have died from that assassination attempt, but then he'll rise to life again and everybody will go, ooh and ah, and they'll have to follow him. But that is a total misreading of Scripture total misreading of scripture because it says one of the heads of the beast. Well, we just described the seven heads of the beast, did we not? So it's one of those kingdoms that had been wounded that was no longer. When we get to chapter 17, we're going to learn a lot more. I call it the keep reading principle. So if you want to, let's go over to chapter 17 and we'll learn more about this beast. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 7. Verse 7 of chapter 17. And I'll read it and we'll just comment on it as we go. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Same beast. Same beast. You see that? And of course, he says in verse 8, he says, The beast, which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. So let's, let's unpack that. Once was, now when is John writing this, and when is John getting this revelation from the angel? Because he's talking to the angel at this point. It's in 95 AD. So in 95 AD, the angel is telling John, this beast once was, now is not, and will come again. Now, let's understand, if you're standing in 95 AD, the beast that had seven heads the first six heads had already come and gone. Those kingdoms that are representing those heads had already come and gone Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and then Rome. In 70 AD, Rome came in and destroyed the temple and dispersed the Israelite nation. Israel ceased to be a nation and a people that gathered in that part of the world. In 70 AD. In 95 AD, this statement makes total sense. The beast that had oppressed God's plan and God's people once was, but now in 95 AD is not, but he will come again. You see what, what he says? And then he says this, the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads, now we're getting really specific here, the seven heads or seven hills on which the woman sits they are also seven kings. The word hills there can also mean kingdoms. Some people interpret this particular uh, verse of scripture that Rome is built on seven hills and therefore it must be the seat of the beast. And therefore the Pope must be the Antichrist. Can I just share with you, there's nothing more preposterous than that. You know, people have said it was Nero who was the Antichrist. They've said it was Napoleon who was the Antichrist. Oh, it sounds great for us to call out Adolf Hitler as the Antichrist. But understand, the Antichrist has not come yet. Are they Antichrists, little a? Absolutely. But they're not the Antichrist. How about Joseph Stalin? How about Idi Amin? Think about how many people they brutally murdered during their lifetime in their reign in their kingdom. Hey, listen, they are antichrist, small a, but they are not the big A antichrist. Do you realize back in the 80s, there was a group of people who believed that Ronald Wilson Reagan was the antichrist? You know why? Because his names... Ronald, Wilson, Reagan, each had six letters. Six, six, six. Friends, this doesn't do any good to biblical prophecy to start calling out names of people like this. Let's be responsible with our biblical prophecy because here he says the seven heads are seven hills or mountains or kingdoms on which the woman sits. They are seven kings, and get this, five have fallen. Now, unless Rome's seven hills have had five of them flattened out, then it can't be that. No, these seven kings or kingdoms are the seven I've been talking about this whole time. Five have fallen. You see, John is writing in 95 AD. Those five have fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Media Persia, and Greece. One is, which one is still in power? Rome. Rome is still in power, and one is to come. And so that one to come is the seventh. And then it goes on to say, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while, and the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. And then he gives us more information about how he will become the eighth king. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom. This is the seventh kingdom. But who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast the Antichrist. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Praise God and hallelujah. That the ultimate oppression and Uh, uh, opposition towards God and his people will be put away once and for all. That will happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So now we know who this beast is, right? Does everybody follow? Okay, so turn back to chapter 13. His head that is wounded, I would argue from the scripture, was Greece. That there will be a revival of this Grecian mindset. In the end times, that there will be a revival of opposing God. You know, Greek mythology is very popular. Think about how it may re-energize a pluralistic gods in our world today, that there's not just one true God, but there are multiple gods. We learn from Daniel, as well as Second Thessalonians, as well as right here in Revelation, that he will be proud He will speak blasphemous and boastful words, and he'll exercise his authority for 42 months. Look at what it says there uh, in verse 5 of chapter 13. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. That's the second half of the tribulation period. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them, and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. How far-reaching will his influence be in this world? Remember, after the seven trumpets, half of the world's population will have been gone. We have 8 billion on our planet today after the rapture of the church and after all of the wars and all of the bloodshed and all of the martyrdom. There's only going to be about 4 billion people left on the planet, you see. And so the people will be looking for a leader. And this is when the Antichrist will arise. All inhabitants of the earth, verse 8 says, will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. How often do we hear this from Jesus as he's speaking to the seven churches? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Folks, this is why we have to read this. This is why we must try to study it and understand it. And then in verse 10, it says, If anyone is to go into ca- captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. And so we see here that this Antichrist, and we'll talk about the number 666 in a moment, but this, this beast, this Antichrist, he will blaspheme God. He will exalt himself. In Daniel chapter 11, it talks about how he will, uh, he will not even honor the God of his fathers. Some would say, well, that means that he must be Jewish, that he's going to be the, a Jewish leader because the God of his fathers would refer, refer to that. That, again, is a misinterpretation because even Gentile kin- kings have fathers, forefathers, ancestors... Okay, many uh, many would try to come up with different ways to identify the Antichrist and his ethnicity. I believe he's a Gentile, and I believe that it is a false religion that he leads. What that false religion is is anything that puts Jesus Christ down. That's false religion. the The whole world will worship him, and then his number is six six, six. Uh, That was our memory verse. And I I picked that memory verse for one reason and one reason only. It's probably the most well-known piece of scripture to the non-believing world. Everybody knows that the Antichrist number is 666. Do you remember when the UPC codes came out, the barcodes? Do you remember that? And everybody said, oh, that's the mark of the beast. That is the mark of the beast, 666. There are six numbers, six numbers, six numbers. Um, Others would say that it's uh, the number of a name. Think about Nero. I mentioned Nero earlier. If you take the Roman name Nero and then you somehow transliterate it into Hebrew, which I'm not sure anybody would be willing to do in the first century, but if you transliterate it into Hebrew, then the number values of the letters of his Hebrew name add up to 666. Isn't that fun? We could do that with pretty much anybody in this room. you want to be the antichrist? I can come up with a number for you, okay? Here's the point. None of that really matches up to the word of God. Look at what it says there in verse 18 of chapter 13. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. Man's number. In the Greek, I, you know me, I'm a Greek, I love Greek, and I, I I went in and I read the Greek. There is no indication in the original Greek language of the New Testament that says there needs to be some kind of an a or the in front of number. It's the number of man. It's not the number of a man. It's a number of man, meaning that this number 666 would help us to understand that we fall short. We are imperfect. Why? Because seven is the perfect number. Six falls short of that number. In fact, man was created on the sixth day, not the seventh. Man falls short and there is a gap between six and seven. And if you manifest that out to its multiple units of God, God is holy, holy, holy. The God number is three. So if you take the God number three times, seven, 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 then man's number is one less than that. Below that, six, six, six. Humanism is the very core of everything that is against Almighty God. When we humans believe that we can solve our own problems and we turn a blind eye to God, then guess what? That is 666. It's happening in our school systems. And guess what, friends? It happened at the Tower of Babel. Let us make a name for ourselves is what those builders of the Tower of Babel said. So that's the Antichrist. His number is 666. He represents all of those things. We've already looked at this. The seven heads are the seven hills or kings, and the five have fallen. One is and one is not. And then the Antichrist, this beast, the satanically influenced man, is the eighth king. Now let's look at the beast out of the earth. In verse 11 of chapter 13, it says this, Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Makes sense, right? He looks like a lamb. He seems peaceful, and he seems quiet, and he seems to be someone you can approach. But he speaks like a dragon. The dragon, of course, representing Satan. And then it says, he exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the number, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, folks, this is where a lot of Bible students get hung up about, oh my gosh, we'll have some kind of a chip implanted in our head. We'll have a chip implanted in our wrist. There's technology now. There's technology now that you can actually buy um, by having some kind of a mark on your um, hand, and you can use it as a scan. You How many of you have gone to the TAP uh, visas, right? You just TAP, okay? Many of you do that. So the technology is coming. It's here, okay? Whether or not that technology is what will be displayed here, I don't know. All I know is that I'll be out of here, okay? I'll be up in heaven watching everybody trying to buy and sell using a chip in their head, okay? But here's the point, is that there will be a control, of the earth's population by the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. And there will be people who are Christian who recognize they've they've come to Christ during the tribulation. And they'll say I'm not going to take the mark. I'm not going to take this mark. And so therefore they will they will starve or they will be killed. And so that's the martyrs that we will learn, we will see as we move into chapter fourteen. Understand now that the beast of the earth, this is—he's known as the false prophet. He has a religious, he has a religious mindset, and he will help everybody, tell everybody they have to worship the beast coming out of the sea, which is the antichrist. And where does the power of the antichrist come from? The dragon. So we see the dragon the Antichrist and the false prophet are all opposed to God and his purposes, but they will come to their end as we have read. So now we launch into chapter 14 and we'll spend just a few minutes there, but look at what it says there. Then I looked and there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion. Do you remember we read this a couple of weeks ago? Uh, Actually last week, and what did we find is that these 144,000 had been redeemed from the earth. Skip down to verse 3, and they sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who what? had been redeemed from the earth. Well, how did they get redeemed? How did they make it to heaven? only because the only explanation is that they were, in fact, the sign of the male child in chapter 12. And so they are with the lamb, and the lamb is in heaven, and they are in heaven with the lamb. Skip down now to the three angels that are dispatched, beginning in verse 6. Verse 6 says this, then I saw another angel flying in midair, and He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And so we see here that this first angel proclaims the eternal gospel to the whole world. Isn't it amazing that in the midst of this rebellion on earth, this worship of a deceitful and despicable antichrist, the beast coming out of the sea, that God still loves all people. And he sends his angel to declare the eternal gospel. Come to Jesus. Reject the beast. Reject anything that is not of God and come and be saved before the hour of judgment. And then a second angel comes and look at what it says there in verse 8. A second angel comes and he makes a declaration. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. We'll learn more about this when we get to chapter 17. The woman that rides the beast this is a, a false religious system. And the Babylon is, of course, one of the most important cities in the whole Bible. If you, if you were to count up the number of times that Babylon occurs in the Bible, it falls as only second to Jerusalem itself. Jerusalem is the most mentioned city in the whole Bible. And the second most mentioned city in the whole Bible is Babylon. A second angel has come to declare that Babylon will fall. Well, if it's going to fall, then it must be rebuilt. Babylon must come back. I don't know if you remember back when Saddam Hussein was still living. He was trying to rebuild Babylon. Bring back the glory of Babylon from the days of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And then, of course, we see the third angel. Look at what it says there in verse 9. A third angel followed them. And said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead and, or, or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. So the third angel comes to pronounce judgment There's an invitation, there's a declaration, and there's a pronouncement of these three angels. But this judgment is coming. It hasn't come yet, but it will come. And then finally, we get to the last part of this chapter, and it is the harvest of the earth. The harvest of the earth. And this harkens us back to Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the tares. If you know anything about Jesus' parables, they always always refer to him as the king or to the kingdom itself, the kingdom of God. And in verse 14 of this chapter, it says this, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one, and I have highlighted in my Bible, one like the Son of Man. It is the representation of Jesus himself. It's taken from Daniel chapter 7 and he has a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Do you remember in that parable, Jesus said, no, don't don't go and tie, try to pull up the weeds now. Let them both grow together until the end of the age and then we will reap the wheat first and then the tare will be thrown into the flames. Well, that's what's pictured here in this passage. There will be a reaping at the center of the tribulation after the three and a half years after the Antichrist and the false prophet have been identified. Then God will reap Another harvest, another rapture, if you will, of those who would not receive the mark of the beast, who would not bow their knee to the worship of the beast. And then in verse 17, it says, another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city and the blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1600 stadia. Wow. What a sobering truth that this declaration by this angel is, is that the sharp sickle will now bring judgment upon the earth. Those who are left after the, the believers are taken out of the way by the first harvesting angel, then the wine of God's wrath, the winepress of his wrath will flow. Folks, this is hard for us to see but God is going to deal with evil once and for all. We see here that this is all pointing to something that's getting ready to happen because when Jesus comes in Revelation chapter 19, he will destroy all of those who oppose him at his coming. It will happen like that. But it's showing here this third angel is proclaiming. It's going to happen, and when it happens, it will be devastation. For those who oppose God. Folks, I'm here to tell you that our message is no more urgent than it is now. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they will be harvested from the earth by their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is tough language. I admit, Revelation 13 and 14, it's heavy stuff. And we sit there and we go, how could someone be so evil? Have you been listening to the newscasts over the last several weeks? When Satan is ruling and controlling the minds and the actions of human beings, it can be devastating. The message I want us all to walk out of here with is this. And this is why we sang Battle Hymn of the Republic. God's truth is marching on. And our job is to be herald angels with the eternal gospel to tell people the end is not the end for you if you come to Christ. It is only the beginning. You can start a new life with Jesus Christ and that life will never end. He, as Hollis sang, he'll wipe away every tear. He will take every single pain or suffering that you have experienced and he will eliminate it forever. Praise God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that your word doesn't mince words. That, Lord, you teach us through the study of your word that you will deal finally with the evil of this world. But, Lord, our job in the meantime is to tell of the great news of Jesus Christ. Lord, that's the takeaway here, that we will be heralds. We will be like that angel that you will send in the middle of the week to tell The eternal gospel to those who are on the earth today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your living word, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to sing this final hymn of uh, commitment, trust and obey. It really comes down to that, trust and obey. If you've never trusted Jesus, today is the day to do that. If you want to join our church, if you want to come forward and say, I want to I want to connect with this church family and be a part of this body of believers, you come forward this morning and I'll introduce you to our church family. So as we sing, you worship God in song and you respond.